Do you want to maximize your success with NCUA? Join Mark Trichel as he shares with you the insider's view on passing your exam with Flying Colors. The With Flying Colors podcast is sponsored by Credit Union Exam Solutions by Mark Trichel. If you would like to work directly with the Credit Union Exam Solutions team and receive support to optimize your results with NCUA so you save time and money, visit us at marktrichel.com to find out more. Hey everyone, this is Mark Treichel with another episode of With Flying Colors. I'm with government affairs practitioner John McKechnie today. John, how are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me on your show. You got it, John. Well, you and I go way back to the middle of your career when we our paths first crossed at NCUA, but you've been in the industry essentially as long as I have. But could you give your uh, my listeners a little taste of how you got into credit unions and your career summary up till today? Sure. Well, I worked on Capitol Hill in the mid 80s for a member of Congress who served on the House. It was called the House Banking Committee back then before they named it to the House Financial Services Committee. But I worked for him for three years and got to know one of the CUNA lobbyists on Capitol Hill who offered me an opportunity to come over. So I started at CUNA appropriately enough, some might say, on April Fool's Day, 1987 and have been around since. As you mentioned, Mark, you and I were colleagues at NCUA from 2006 until 2011. Happened to be there. We were happy to be there during the uh, meltdown of the mortgage market and the associated turmoil, which frankly, even though it was not something I would call fun in any way, it was actually the most fascinating and exhilarating part of my career, I think. It just afforded me so many opportunities to learn and to to grow professionally and really be part of something big. They were some pretty stressful, but ultimately they were times that I think tested credit union system and, and NCUA. And I think we passed. Your show's called Flying Colors. Well, that's, I think it was a time where we came out of it in a lot of ways stronger, even though it was difficult to live through those days. And then in 2011, as I mentioned, I, I decided to go back into the private sector and I hung out a shingle in DC and I do a lot of work with credit unions and leagues and a couple other associated credit union groups. So I can't get out of the, like that, that thing, Godfather three, where you, he, he tries to get out, but he just keeps bringing me back in. So no, I understand. And that's because credit unions and their members are such a noble purpose, right? Once you and I both found it, we didn't stray very far from it and we're still ticking in the industry. And, and I thought it'd be great to get on and catch up with you. But you, know, you talked about 08, 09, one of the I was a regional director at the time. They pulled me in to work on the conservatorships at Westcore and U.S. Central because at the time I had done the biggest conservatorship, which was substantially smaller than those at that point in time. But you, I know that our paths crossed relative to that. I know that you worked with the board at that time in particular. I think maybe Mike Brizel, if, if my calendar is working right relative yeah. to uh, getting expanded authorities liquidity-wise, because just ironically right now, we've got the SVB, we've got liquidity challenges. And you have to go back to 08, 09 for there to be, you know, challenges of holding to maturity and losses in portfolios and different things. But I know you played a big role in helping NCUA at the time get expanded authorities as it related to the CLF to help the industry through that. And oftentimes, I guess, you know, I guess this is the first question. Oftentimes you hear the NCUA board in particular Chairman Todd Harper, who pounds the table anytime he can. Hey, we need broader authorities at the CLF. 
these authorities have sunset. But any thoughts relative to kind of looking back at how you were able to obtain that and or what the likelihood of NCUA and Chairman Harper getting that sometime down the road? It's an excellent question and a great way to frame it because you had the financial system was really locking up back in the 2008 and into early 2009. And even though you know, people talked about the different collapses in the, in the mortgage market, really where the first problem was, was a liquidity problem. So to your point, one of the first things we had to do at NCUA was persuade Congress to expand the ability of the CLF, which is, it's kind of an arcane thing. It's not used very much, fortunately, because it's a backup source of liquidity. But what we had to do was get Congress to expand the ability of that entity to provide liquidity to the system. I think we went from zero loan demand at the CLF to almost $7 billion in loan demand in less than two months. And that was just eye-popping, but that's the kind of times we were in. And that's the thing about crises. You don't really know when they're going to materialize. That's why it's a crisis, right? So what we had to do was, and the other part of it is FDIC and the banking system were under, in a lot of ways, much more stress than the credit unions. So we were able to kind of, I think, use that atmosphere to, to go to Congress and say there's a real need here. And Congress fortunately looked ahead, looked down the road, and proactively agreed with us that we needed to do some things to update the CLF. We're a little bit in the same situation now in that even though the turmoil in the banking system has not exactly touched credit unions, I think what I see on Capitol Hill is an appetite to listen to NCUA and the industry to say, let's make sure we're prepared. Let's make sure that we have all the ducks in a row just in case there is another strain on the liquidity system. The CLF is perfectly positioned, but I think it needs to be enhanced a bit and especially in ways that enable the corporate system to distribute liquidity. So I'm guardedly optimistic that you know the board's request to Congress is going to be received very well. The entire board, I mean, you mentioned Chairman Harper and his leadership obviously is essential, but really our board at NCUA has been very effective and very outspoken in trying to promote the need for CLF enhancements. Very happy about that. Yeah, agreed. I'm happy about it. I hope they get it. And it might have been, you know, I'm a, I love quotes and there's a, a quote, you might have been the one who introduced it to me. Uh, don't let any good crisis go to waste, right? Yeah, it's actually, that was, that was Obama's first chief of staff who said that, but I'll take credit if you'd like. Okay, all right. <laughs> Very good. Well, so let's talk. So SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, I've had a lot of podcasts on that. Of course, you know, you talked about how 0809 was one of your most exciting times because you got to learn new things. And when SVB hit on a Friday, I was actually on the call with a client and I had done a post about their stock tanking and the liquidity issues in the morning on LinkedIn. And by noon, the FDIC had taken them over. And so I was glued over the weekend to things that were happening. Janet Yellen coming out saying there's not going to be a bailout. And in my view, by Monday morning, there was a bailout and they invoked uh, systemic impact on, on some different things. And it's created kind of a storm initially relative to liquidity. But and John, there's this natural tension of opposites between banks and credit unions and bank trade associations and credit union trade associations. But I know that you probably deal with that side of it. You know, you build memberships are getting too broad, taxation, all these things. What's a hot topic in that arena right now as far as the banks, the natural tension between banks and credit unions? Well, in the first place, if a similar situation had occurred in the credit union system, the banks would be all over NCUA and it credit unions talking about how inadequately regulated they are, talking about how 
unprofessional credit union boards and management is. So I'll just I'll leave that comment stand because, you know, the banks have have obviously shown themselves to be a little bit of a mess in the way that those institutions were managed and candidly in the way that they were regulated. You know, FDIC and the Fed allowed things to happen at those banks, frankly, boggled my mind. I'm sure you as a career in the regulatory realm. I mean, the idea of, of, of FDIC and the state regulator in California allowing SVB to go almost a year without a risk officer is mind boggling. Uh, yeah, yeah. You're, without, you're without a risk officer buying long and, yeah. and, and, and short liabilities, uninsured. Yeah. I mean, with the whole uninsured deposits at 95%, you know, that there are no credit unions even close no, to no. that in natural person credit unions. So yeah, fa- fascinating train wreck, but there are going to be some ramifications out of it. Yeah. I, I did a there's, I think, I, four or five reports that are coming out. I think May 1st, FDIC some has uh, lessons learned, and then there'll be the IG reports. And But I, I did see something where there's like four or five action items, different agencies tied to it will be doing some reporting. Will it lead to more regulation? Will it not lead to more regulations? Do you have any thoughts relative to where that might land or where it should land? Well, this is allowing me as someone who spends a lot of time on Capitol Hill to talk about the differences between banks and credit unions. You mentioned the uninsured deposits, for instance. 91% of the credit union deposits are federally insured or privately insured, mostly federally insured. But the point is, the situation that existed at those banks with uninsured deposits would never exist in the credit union world. And there's a simple reason for that. We're different. We have a different business model. We have different business practices. We interact with consumers in a very different way than those banks did. The banks did a high wire act and they got caught on it. We are but much more, I think, a lot more conservative, a lot more basic. I've used the soundbite a lot on Capitol Hill that we're, we're kind of boring and that's what you want. We don't right. want anything. But I think that your fascinating part of your question there is about what comes next. And I think that it's possible that Congress and the regulators, all the regulators sit around a table. There's a thing in, in D.C. called FSOC, Financial Stability Oversight Council, NCUA is a member of that, but also it's, it's chaired by the Treasury Secretary, and it's got all the other regulators. I think that that body seems to be looking at a series of recommendations on both capital and liquidity that we're going to have to keep an eye on. I wonder also if there are going to be any suggested changes to the deposit insurance system. And if, if FDIC changes, F, then NCUSIF is going to have to follow suit. So we'll, we'll be watching that very closely. Those are two great points. And on FSOC, I've seen, you know, they're talking about more requirements for the big institutions and what happens at NCUA. NCUA doesn't have systemically important institutions as it relates to the U.S. economy, but they do have the Office of National Exam and Supervisions, which are the big credit unions that are significantly important to the insurance fund. So what I whatever happens relative to that, relative to liquidity and capital, I think NCUA will analyze that and see if there's something that they should add in their big, bigger institutions, which are now defined as over 15 billion. So that's interesting. The deposit insurance item, let's say it goes up from you know 250 to pick a number, 350, 450, 500. The challenge NCUA is going to have there is that'll reduce the denominator, but it won't it increase the denominator, but it won't increase the retained earnings in the fund. So that will drop the operating level, which could result in a, a quicker need or a need for a premium for credit unions. So while bigger insurance sounds good on its face, there are un, there are consequences and unintended consequences of that. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, too. Yeah, that's one of the laws in D.C., the law of unintended consequences. That's, right. that's, that's something very much. And, you know, just to piggyback a minute 
you mentioned something about the, the way the banking industry continues to pick a credit union. You know, it was kind of amazing and amusing at the same time. In the middle of all the turmoil in the banking system, at a time when you think that they would be saying, we're sorry, we made some mistakes, we're going to do better. Instead, one of the bank trade associations decided to use this episode as an opportunity to say that Congress needs to respond by having an oversight hearing on NCUA. <laughs> a versionary tactic. I don't think it gained much traction on Capitol Hill, but it was really kind of silly to see the bank again the, the, the smaller bank trade association try to try to make this into a credit union problem. Sorry, that's not yeah, work. yeah, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Well, there's different, you know, with, with social media today and different terminologies for how that's used, people try just about everything. You're, I agree with you. That isn't going to work. So. You and I work closely with the NCUA board. You were politically appointed and brought in by uh, an NCUA board member. We've got uh, Chairman Harper, who's going to be around a long time. He just got a, a new full term. And in August of 2023, board member Rodney Hood's term is coming up. And, you know, I think it, it, some days, I think on average, when a term is up, people stay, you know, it's somewhere between 10 and 14 months. Sometimes a president moves quicker, or sometimes a board member will want to find their next place and they'll just decide, hey, I'm done. You know, so those are three scenarios that might happen. But, and the other thing is, you know, the, it's a unique board structure right now. Presidents, the Democrat, the chairman of NCUA is a Democrat, but there's two R's as his making up the board. So whenever Hood leaves, it'll be a Democrat that comes in. How do you see that playing out, number one? And then number two, what might that mean for the agenda? Well, a lot to unpack there. I, in the first place, and I've, I've tried to be as much of an NCUA historian as I can be, I don't think we've ever, ever had a situation where the chairman has been a minority on the board. I mean, we've had one-on-one, -on -one, you know, we've had two right. members board. But I can't remember, Mark, you, you were there longer than me, but I, I mean, the chairman being of one party that's in the minority, is I, I think it's a very unusual situation. I think, having said that, this board has at least functioned. I mean, I think all three of them realize that, that they can be adult about things and try to find areas of, of agreement where they can. It's not always possible because there are different philosophies between Chairman Harper and the two Republicans, but I think they've made it work relatively well. I'm intrigued about what's going to happen after August 3rd. That's the day that the, that the board member Hood's term is technically over. One of the factors in the past, you said there was an average of like 10 or 14 months of a holdover. I wonder, though, this time, since the president is of one party and board member Hood is a Republican, there may be a desire to turn the board into a Democratic majority board as quickly as possible. I think it's conceivable that President Biden may say, to board member Hood, it's time, your time is, you finished your term, thank you for your service, he may replace him. I've heard various rumors about people considering the NCUA board. I'm not going to name any names now because it's, it's really not appropriate, but I will say that there are probably, a, there's probably a good long list of Democrats who would want the NCUA board slot and who could get confirmed by the Senate, which is also important, by the way. Uh, you have to, being nominated is one thing, being confirmed is another. But yeah, I, I suspect that if we did a podcast, let's say in December, we'd be talking about a very different NCUA board. And I think a board that's going to be more active on the regulatory front when you have two Democratic members. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think all of that, and I think the consumer compliance side of it is where I'd be looking first to see maybe a little bit more, a more little bit more bandwidth, maybe some expansion of exams, expansion of staff in that arena, because uh, Todd is very passionate about that. And 
He also, just looking at how he was able to get his second term, he and some other things I've heard, I think he pretty well connected so yes. that he, on average, he can get things moving quicker than maybe perhaps the, the average connect connectivity of NCUA uh, chairmen in the past. So it, it'll definitely be interesting to watch. So go ahead. Hold on, that. Hold on that for a second, because I think you make a good point. That is that this White House probably surveys the landscape and they've got a lot of Biden appointed regulators boards out there. NCUA, I think, is the only regulatory entity in the Biden administration where you've got a Republican majority. Right. I know yeah. that that can't be politically palatable to to any of those. And again, I, you know, that's the way this business works. Right. When elections, you get majorities you, you, and you get to do stuff. That's right. I respect. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. So another thing that's on NCUA's list a lot relative to uh, changes to the Federal Credit Union Act is vendor authority. And that's something that NCUA had during Y2K, which, wow, was 23 years ago. And those authorities sunset. Is, do you hear from where you sit legislate lobbying and different things? What you know? Do you have any thoughts relative to A, the success of that or B, what the trade groups or what the credit unions are thinking on that? It's a, it's a very very predictable fight in some ways. A fight, I use the word, because I think it's going to be, eventually it's going to come to a head. And very predictably, the, the agency, Chairman Harper, has articulated his views about third-party vendor authority and the need to have that. He's also persuaded, I think, I mean, I've heard uh, Senate Banking Committee Chairman Brown speak favorably of the idea. There's resistance to it. I think there's resistance, obviously, from the industry. Other NCUA board members have expressed some skepticism, Vice Chairman Haltman and board member Hood. So it's going to come, this issue is going to be, have to be fought out. I suspect that, that there are going to be attempts to look for the next moving financial services vehicle on Capitol Hill. They might try to tack it onto that. And the, the trade associations and the credit union industry generally has some real misgivings about that, although I think there's not unanimous opinion among credit unions. I think some credit unions actually, in a way, feel like it might be helpful to them. I'm not sure I agree with that, given the fact that I'm not exactly sure how, what the dimensions of third-party vendor authority and the costs and the reach are going to be. But nonetheless, this is an issue. I mean, you mentioned 23 years ago we had vendor authority. At that time, I was one of the people who was fighting to, to make sure it had a sunset provision in it, right. if you remember. Right. So because it was just to get us through Y2K. And I think the arguments that were used back then about whether NCUA had a handle on the costs and had the expertise, I think those same arguments are going to be trotted out this time. And I think on the other side, the same arguments about whether credit unions need more oversight in that area, especially in this day of cyber breaches. These are all issues going to be put on the table. But, hey, I like a fight. I think it's a fascinating topic. I tend to agree with you, those issues of do they have the expertise and what will it cost? Because if you get the authority, you have to do something with it. And if you're going to do something with it, right, you either got to add staff so you can study it or figure it out. Or if you don't add staff, you got to take safety and soundness. You can argue it's safety and soundness if a, if a breach happens, but you have to cannibalize your staff over here. And just like the Dunkin' Donuts on the corner who has a, a challenge getting staffing, and just like you know, some of my credit union clients having staffing, getting challenges getting fully staffed, NCUA already has that without that on their plate. So it's kind of like the, the dog catching the ice cream truck, right? What do you do with it? Yeah, what, what do you, you caught it. All right, so, so now what, right? So I want to ask you a question. You're smarter than me on this. You're more experienced than me on this. So I'm going to turn the question around. What do you think the agency is going to do? I mean, I'm fascinated just from an administrative kind of the work in the bureaucracy. 
How are they going to manage that? Are they, they going to simply try to add staff? Are they going to retrain some of the existing staff? And what again, what do you think the cost measurements are going to be? I'd like to hear your perspective on well, that. Well, so one of my thoughts, and I've, there's some people at NCUA when I was there that I mentioned this to, and when I said it, they kind of smiled. They don't have the authority, right, number one. So if something blows up and they didn't ask to get the authority, why didn't you tell us you didn't have this authority, number one, right? So part of the positioning at NCUA is, hey, all the other regulators have it. We don't have it. This is a blind spot. And while I was there, I thought, well, I'm glad we asked so we can't get blamed if it blows up. But I don't want to get it because I don't want to deal with, as executive director, all those things you just said. How am I going to get a, a 10 per, say it's 10 percent increase in staff? Right. That's NCUA staff is paid really well because they're required to be paid really well because they're challenging jobs and the credit unions are going to push back on the budget side of it. And rightfully so. So historically, NCUA at sometimes will try and retrain people. But in this arena, you really need to have people who are passionate about that to understand it. So they would have to go out and get and create a specialty tied to this. And so I don't view it as something that would be cheap. I do. You know, I know that that even though when there have been times when NCUA has publicly said, yeah, there won't be much cost tied to this. We need the authority, but we'll be able to do it with most of the resources that we currently have. And that, to me, that's just not reality. If you're going if you're going to get it, you have to do something and something means means more money and more resources. I'll just add one more thought from a legislative standpoint. There was a bill in the last Congress to allow NCUA to have third-party vendor authority. It was called the Cyber Secu- I think it was the title was the Cybersecurity Improvement Act. But the only time in the entire legislation the word cybersecurity appeared was in the title. There was nothing in the actual body of the legislation. I'm a kind of old school in the sense that I there's a saying that when in doubt, read the bill. And I actually read the bill. <laughs> it doesn't really limit NCUA's reach. They I think NCUA has the ability to gain more support on Capitol Hill if they do focus on cyber, because that's a real hot topic, as it should be. But I think there's hesitance to go beyond maybe the cyber aspect of it. So this is probably fodder for a longer discussion. I this do is, think we're going to be ahead. talking. I think we're going to be talking about third party vendor authority and potential conflict between the industry and the agency on the Hill later this year. I think that I'd be willing to bet on that. Interesting. OK, that's I'm not surprised, but that's interesting to hear. And you picked up on something. I talked about needing particular skill sets. I didn't say the word cyber, cyber, but as I was thinking it through in my head, I was thinking cyber experts. And you, as you pointed out, what they asked for was much broader. And, and maybe it needs to be a little bit more tailored because really that might be the Achilles heel of that whole third party relationship. So if they end up getting the authority, making sure the the language is tight enough is something you and, and the trade associations will be watching quite closely, I would imagine. Yes. So you ask the wrong question, you get the wrong answer or you better read the bill. Right. So last week, NCUA had a board action on climate related financial risk. And I just did a podcast on it. I think you might in particular like that podcast. I'm going to send you a link to it if you haven't heard it yet. But, you know, the board talked about it. So, number one, you talked about the board working well. And I think they are working well. This was an example of it was a two to one vote. And Hood uh, sided with Harper and said he'd given his word relative to that. So he got his vote to get the request for information out. A lot of discussion about and Hauptman had some really kind of they all had really good statements. It was a two to one vote on our voting with a D 
And it was real fascinating from that perspective. But I actually sat down and read the 38 questions, right? In the hour that they talked about it, they didn't read any of the questions. And there was this whole discussion about, well, we'll come back to the table. We'll have another vote before we do anything on it, which is what the R's are saying. Hey, this is just a request for information. And Todd, even though you could issue a letter to credit unions, if you wanted to, you commit to having that done by the before you'll do anything. And Todd said, yep, that's where we're going on this. Well, then you read the questions and it's like, well, should we regulate it? How could we regulate it? Should we have guidance? And so they're definitely in where you sit. I view this as a this is the first step towards something. Right. Yeah. And we talk about, we talk about Todd getting Chairman Harper getting a second vote. And then you think about climate related financial risk and you think about the Biden administration and other things. This is a big thing on the Democratic side. It's big for everybody, but it's particularly big for the people in power right now. So this was a first step towards something. Any thoughts on that, Arena? I went to the board meeting. I talked to some of the senior staff and the board members at the meeting and afterwards. I think you captured it quite well. All three board members brought a lot of brain power to the issue, to the table, obviously. There's no question they had thought about this. Uh, Chairman Harper has been very passionate about it. I think the staff who heard has been working pretty intensely on this request for information, the 38 questions. It is a prelude. I don't know what. Board member Hood, when he gave Todd his vote, said, you know, this is not committing us to any particular course of action or any rulemaking. And I think that's true at the moment, but it may not be true in a few months because I think that the board and and the C staff are going to do something with the feedback they get from credit unions. What I've heard overwhelmingly from credit unions is that really when you talk about the NCUA changing its policy about climate, I think it really gets down to lending, right? I mean, that's what it's all about. It's it's overseeing how credit unions make loans in certain areas that are maybe prone to flooding or kind of winter events, tornadoes, whatever. But I think that it's an attempt to kind of nudge the financial services sector, not just credits, by the way, the group we talked about earlier, FSOC, Janet Yellen's group, they really are placing quite a bit of emphasis on adding climate sensitivity to regulation. So I think you're seeing, at least under a Democratic administration, more emphasis on oversight as it relates to climate change. And this is a bigger issue, right? Republicans and Democrats are always having to tug of war about the green energy policy, climate, whatever. This is our front in that battle. Well said. I'm sure you picked up on board member Hood looking to get commitment to vote on it in July. And Todd said maybe July or September. And as we said earlier, Hood's term is up in the middle, right? Well, he was talking about- uh, Yes, yes. Yeah, clarify that for me. Thank you. It was loan participations that board member Hood brought up in that context. That's important, too, because I think that bridges over into a larger philosophical question on the board about how much QSOs and other entities can help credit unions participate loans. That's something that's going to have a tremendous amount of, that'll have real tentacles in the credit union world, I think. Yeah, And I I don't know if it's going to be a vote. I really don't know when a vote's going to occur on that. I don't either. But as you said, Hood, Hood's passionate about that. He was trying to get it moving quicker. I think he's probably cognizant of his August date and the sooner the better because he was a one of the architects of getting the proposed rule out. So they always get to see their pet projects play out before they depart. Correct. Well, so I've got one more question before I ask you if I've missed any questions. But, John, I was looking at the MajorLeagueBaseball.com this morning And I saw that the Orioles are 16 and 8, and the Twins are 14 and 11. And I think the last time 
the, our two teams had that combined winning percentage. Paul Blair was in center field and, C, and Cesar Tovar for the Twins. So. Oh, boy. Taking me back to my golden age of my youth when the Orioles and the Twins played in the first two, the first two AL championship series featured mm-hmm. the Baltimore Orioles and the Minnesota Twins, 1969 and 70. Very excited here about my Orioles, even though even though I live in D.C., I grew up in the Baltimore area and I'm, I've never changed my colors. So very excited about the Orioles. And, and you should be about the Twins. They look like they've actually got something going, too. Yeah, I'm excited about them more so than probably any time since 1991 when World Series back in the days of uh, Kirby Puckett. So, yeah, we got something to talk about there as well. So shifting back uh, to credit unions and government affairs, is there any question I should have asked you about what's going on in your world and credit union world that I did not ask? I don't think you've missed any questions that I can think of at the moment. I would just want to reiterate, though, and back to the discussion we had about the bank uncertainty and the unrest rest in that sector. This is an opportunity. You talk about never letting a crisis go to waste. The opportunity for credit unions is to make sure that our lawmakers and regulators know about how different credit unions are than banks. And frankly, let our policymakers know how much better we are in serving the consumer needs. We haven't even really talked in any depth about CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. That should be probably the subject of an entirely different podcast because there's so much there. But I would say in some ways, CFPB has almost approached NCUA as the most important regulator we pay attention to in Washington. They do so many active things and CFPB is doing things that, frankly, are controversial in, in our industry. That's also a group that we all need to keep very close attention to. But again, we ought to tell Congress and CFPB, we do a good job with consumers. We don't need the federal government to tell credit unions to treat our members well. Amen to that. And, and actually, that's the, as I look at all the stuff I thought I would ask you, I have CFPB written down here and I have the term junk fees, which they seem to have created. And they seem to ram everything into junk fees. A lot of controversial thoughts out there relative to that. I had Dan Berger on my podcast talking about the junk fees and his view, the overreaching of CFPB. And I I agree with you. That's the one agency that credit unions really need to keep their eye on. So I'm glad you brought that up. Very good, John. So if one of my listeners would like to reach out and connect with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Well, let me give you two ways. One is my email is john at McKechnie. M-C-K-E-C-H-N-I-E-L-L-C.com. That's LLC is for Limited Liability Corporation. And my phone number is 202-997-5816. Call or a text on that would be returned immediately. And glad to talk to any of our listeners. And this has been a lot of fun. This has been fun, John. And I will put your email in my show notes. And John, I really appreciate your time today. I always enjoy talking to you. Let's talk again soon. Let's do it again soon. And listeners, thank you for listening. This is Mark Trichel signing off with Flying Colors. Thank you for joining us on this episode of With Flying Colors. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app to hear future episodes where subject matter experts of all varieties will provide tips on how to achieve success with NCUA. If you would like to learn more about how we assist credit unions, check out our services at marktrichel.com. 